Hey everybody, welcome back to We Are Podcast. This is We Are Endor, Season 1, Episode 2, The Vela Quinta. If this is your first time checking out the podcast network, please head over to your favorite podcast app, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, or iTunes, and give We Are Podcast Network a like. And if you get a chance, head over to our social media. All links can be found in the description. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at backslash We Are Podcast. And with that said, on to the podcast we are endor hey everybody welcome to we are endor a podcast about middle earth from the great lamps to the fourth age talking orcs and hobbits is all the rage that is ridiculous you picked it (laughs) it's a tagline you you picked it uh don't blame me so yeah this is duck i'm here with my beautiful wonderful amazing girlfriend sophie hi hi and yeah so we are here to talk about the silmarillion sil sil as I call it. No, that's not what it's called. Silmarillion. Silsil. No. That's what we're calling it, the Silsil. And we're here to talk about the first chapter of it, the Indulindalealu. What is it called? The Ainulindale. Ainulindale. I'm learning so many new words. So we're here to talk about the creation of the planet, I think. Okay, so Ea is the solar system. Arda is the planet. Valinor, Numenor, and Endor are the three continents. Okay, and so the first chapter of the Silmarillion is about the creation of the entirety, and it's done through the godhead creature, which is known as... Eru, Iluvatar. And the choir of angelish creatures... The Ainur. Which aren't angels, but they might as well be, because that's what it seems like. Yeah. The entire thing seems like an allegory for the creation story of the Bible. Yeah, I mean, Tolkien hated allegory, and he would insist that it's not, but yeah, more or less. It is, though, right? Yeah, yeah. It's the choir of angels, and they're singing, and basically, they're singing one song in unison, and then there's a single angel that decides to sing against the other angels. Well, not against so much as alongside. So this is getting more into musical theory, right? When Tolkien was writing Lord of the Rings, we had this shift from romantic to modern composition. And a lot of that shift had to do with a shift from tonality to atonality. And as a devout Catholic, I'm sure Tolkien, if he had any interest in musical theory, he would also be very familiar with tonality because it's a very Catholic thing to be tonal in your music. Like for hundreds of years, they controlled the development of music across Europe. So Melkor singing in a way that was different from the rest of the Ainur isn't necessarily that he was singing against them. It could simply be that he was singing atonally or in a different key or singing a harmony. What I gathered was he was singing with aggression and rage and because it sounds like he is Lucifer and he was jealous of something, what I read, and he decided that he was going to go against the others in the choir. What is the choir called again? The Einer. That's the name of all of them. Uh, Together. And so he begins to sing passionately, but with dissonance is what I gathered. And then as he begins to sing, some of the angels or some of the choir decided to sing along with him. And then a third version of the song came to be at that point. So basically what happened was fundamentally in Middle Earth, there is Ea, that which exists, and the void, that which does not exist. So like the empty vastness of space. And Melkor, he felt that the void was undeveloped and deserved more attention in the song so when he sang he sang to include the void and i guess the quote-unquote problem with that is um eru Luvatar has 
the fire of creation. Only he is able to create souls. So when Melkor began singing differently to the rest of the Ainur, he didn't have access to the fire of creation. And so it was quote-unquote dissonant or like not in line with the rest of the music. And so why was he doing that? Because he felt that the void was not present in the song enough, or that they were not singing about the void enough and developing it into things. And that does not quite parallel with Lucifer so much, because Lucifer, his downfall was brought about in large part through jealousy. Melkor's was more of an impatience, and I think that's a worthy distinction. When he started singing differently, various Ainur began singing with him, right? And this is over the course of thousands of years. Well, we don't know exactly how long, but it's a very long span of time that this was sang into existence. The key figure among those who joined him would be Myron, who was a Maya of Aule, one of Melkor's compatriots or equivalents. There's 14 Valar and then an uncounted number of Maiar, who are like lesser angels, who are servants of the Valar, who could be equivalent to archangels. And so they begin singing with him, and then the song itself changes in the third verse to something completely different, which is the combination of the singing from the original choir and then this choir. It crescendos into this incredible song that has never been heard again or will be heard again until the end of time, basically. Right. And there's an important quote here, because this differs from Christianity in a, in a way. Eru says, Mighty are the Ainur, and mightiest among them is Melkor, but that he may know, and all the Ainur, that I am Iluvatar. Those things that ye have sung, I will show them forth, that ye may see what ye have done. And thou, Melkor, shalt see that no, no theme may be played that hath not its uttermost source in me, nor can any alter the music in my despite. For he that attempteth this shall prove but mine instrument in the devising of things more wonderful which he himself hath not imagined. So basically the godhead just said, I used you to <laughs> to create this song. And... Or not that I used you, but any power that you have, I granted to you. So anything you do is really an extension of me. So this dissonance that hypothetically exists isn't really a dissonance. It's not singing against the music, because anything that exists has its uttermost source in Iluvatar. And so he allowed it. Yes. It explicitly states this, which is why I, delving into musical theory, I think has more to do with tonality or keys or a harmony and a melody or um, a counter melody rather than any actual dissonance or any like battle in the music. Enjoying this episode? Go check out Geekster, a dating and friends app for geeks that focuses on common interests as a way to make meaningful connections. Download today on the App Store or click the link in the description to find out more. Geekster, this is what happens when nerds collide. Geekster, available on iOS and Android. So the song was beautiful. It was said to be the most beautiful song ever heard, correct? Yes. And it was never to be repeated again because what came of the song was the creation of the universe and more importantly the creation of the planet in which Middle Earth would take place on, which is our planet. Yeah. The planet Earth. Basically, some of the choirs sang into existence 
the sky and the mountains and the landscape and the foliage and, and trees and then others sang into existence the creatures of the world. Is that right? So Yavanna was the Vala that represented nature and animals and all green things. And so she sang into existence the plants and the trees and the ants. Which are giant tree creatures. Yes. And then you have Aule, the smith Vala, who is responsible for the minerals and the caverns and all the ores and beautiful things in the earth. And he created the dwarves. And there was a moment of contention between him and Eru, because Eru intended to create the elves, the firstborn. And he had not done so yet. So when Aule made the dwarves, Eru was a little bit put out with him. Part of this was because no one has access to the fire of creation except for Eru. So when Aule made the dwarves, they didn't have souls. They were basically just little puppets he could control. And that was distressing to Aule and to Iluvatar. And so Aule went to Iluvatar and was like, what should I do? Should I destroy them? And Iluvatar was like, no, you shouldn't destroy them. They're still living beings. I will give them souls. But we're going to wait. We're not going to wake them up until I create the elves because they're first. The dwarves can be second. The elves are first. And so after they were created at the lake, then the dwarves were woken up. The dwarves were created first, but they didn't have souls. So technically the elves were created first. Yes. Okay. When the dwarves came into being, what was that like? Chaos? Was it, or was it? Uh, it was the exact opposite of chaos because they didn't have free will because they didn't have souls. So the second they had souls, they were like, they're just like, okay, this is what we do now. Yeah. Okay, so they were cool with it. Yeah, but I mean, there was um, there was tension between the elves and Aule, who they called Mahal, father, and there was this awkwardness between the two groups, Aule and the dwarves, because of the creation without souls. But in the long term, yeah, the dwarvish faith centered around Mahal, not around Eru Iluvatar. Okay, so they didn't praise the almighty godhead. I mean, they did, but they also focused heavily on Mahal. The creator of them. Mm-hmm. Even though they, the creator didn't give them souls, they still praised them. Yes. And then you had other Valar that created other things within the world. But eventually it was the godhead, Eru Iluvatar, who created the first men and... The elves. The elves. But they came into existence last, the first men, correct? Yes, the men were created. They're the thirdborn. Oh, we forgot to say the most important part about this was the song that was sang was what was sang into creation after it was finished. Era Iluvatar looked at the song and said, now that you've sang it, now we're going to show you what has been created. And Malkor, we're going to allow you to have your dissonance, for lack of a better word, within this. And I'll show you how that exists. But he said to Malkor, who was almost like the devil, but different. Mm. A little bit different. He, he was devilized. Devilized. He said, he goes, the things that you sang, I'm going to create those also and show those to you. Because he gave him the most prestige. He said of all the... Of all the Valar, Melkor was the most powerful. Yeah, and he, and he enjoyed his song the most. Yes. But then that's when he said the thing, like, he gave him the most praise. Mm-hmm. And he says, but now I'm going to show you what you sang into existence, basically. Right. Because I'm creating it. Right. So the earth is created, and then they fill it with dwarves and elves, and then finally the first men. Yes. Okay. So what is that like when the first men arrived? Were they had favor over everyone, or was everyone favored pretty evenly? The elves were the chosen of Eru, but the most beloved were the men. Eru favored men over any other race, and because of that, he gave them the doom or the gift of men, which is to die. Really? Why is that a gift? Well, eternity is... A difficult concept, isn't it? When your soul comes from the fire of creation, from Eru himself, and you live forever, you are never returned to Eru. 
you never go to heaven. So men die, and they die for good, and they're returned to the fire of creation and to their creator's embrace. Where did the orcs and the orakai and all that come from? They were twisted elves. It's never really clarified exactly what their afterlife situation is. Orcs are twisted elves, and then they were bred with men to make Urukai. So Urukai are practically Parato, or half-elves, and then orcs are basically elves. I mean, you might be able to argue that orcs go to the halls of Mandos. I couldn't really say about the Urukai. So Malkor sang in into creation, or was allowed by his singing to be created the dissonance, as I keep saying, even though I know that's the wrong term, basically of history of what was going to happen because of his terrible singing or whatever it was, the godhead, Eru Iluvatar, said, I'm going to allow these things to pass in history. And so Malkor goes to Earth as one of many of the creators of the song. Not everyone from the choir went yeah, to Earth. Not all the Ainur went to Earth. But there was a select few that did. Mm-hmm. And Malkor... He had power over fire, and what else? Essentially, entropy. What is that? Entropy is like the opposite of creation. Do you know about the the theory of the heat death of the universe? No. Okay, so... Um, I'm not the smart one, you are. <laughs> so, like, what happens when all the stars go out? Uh, the heat death of the universe? I don't know. We would no longer have life. Yeah, like, all the stars go out, the planets are dead rock, there's nothing left. That's entropy. Things fading and chaos, right? And so that's more Melkor's domain. His power is the power of change. And destruction? No, not destruction. Just change. Just change? So he spends most of his time on Earth trying to undo what the others have done in good. Not necessarily. Much of his work is trying to emulate that of the others, or to change it and create something new and novel. So, for example, the Misty Mountains, which are a centerpiece in the Fellowship of the Ring, were created by Melkor. He wasn't Aule. He didn't have power over the Earth. But he created the Misty Mountains and an effort to create. And it said that his fortress Engbad in uh, Beleriand was gorgeous. Like, terrible, but gorgeous and spectacular. He absolutely, um, I think, craved the ability to create the way Eru did. And sort of attempted to do so as much as possible in Middle-earth. Well, that's why I say he's parallel to the devil. Because the devil, out of jealousy and envy, wanted what God had. And he couldn't have it. And that's he was cast upon the earth, and the earth is his domain. And in a lot of ways, Malkor, the earth, becomes his domain to do terrible things. And you're saying, what I read was he he tried to bring upon the end to elves and man, is that right? There were wars between elves and men and Malkor, and the Valar and Malkor, but... Not to sound like a Melkor apologist, but... You are a total Melkor apologist. You love Melkor. You wanted to name the dog Melkor. (laughs) Not to be a complete Melkor apologist, but I'm also kind of Lucifer apologist, so I guess it goes hand in hand. I think that he was set up by the Valar for failure, by Manwe in particular. And so when, when you are cast as the devil many times you choose to be the devil, right? Like, if you have a six-year-old, right, and you tell that six-year-old, you're a bad kid, you're just bad, nine times out of ten, that kid is going to behave poorly. Not because they want to, but because they're expected to. And I think that Milikor fell into that same trap. The Valar, do they end up becoming something greater, or are they always just these ethereal presences within the Earth, or do they become characters within the story? They are characters within the Silmarillion. They don't have a presence in the Lord of the Rings. But they're mentioned in the Lord of the Rings, or they're never mentioned? They're mentioned. And the Maiar, their servants, 
There are certainly plenty of them in Middle-earth. So are these the main characters for the Silmarillion? No. Okay, so these are just godheads. They're, 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 they're um, supporting characters, besides Melkor. Okay, and in such a way as like Gandalf was a supporting character in Lord of the Rings? Kind of like that same Yes, thing. because Gandalf is actually a Maya. He is one of the servants of Nienna. So one of these people do end up becoming Gandalf Reborn. Well, Gandalf's real name, or I guess uh, Kenyan name, is Alordan. And he is a Maya, and he sang the Song of Creation in the choir. And him, along with the four other Istri, were chosen by the Valar to go to Middle-earth in the Second Age to help resist Sauron. Does he know this? Yes, yes, he's very aware. So he has all this history, but does he just decide at some point to become a new creation? Like no. when he became Gandalf the White from Gandalf the Grey? Like, isn't that a new creation of that same... That was, He died. So he died. So it's And like... Eru Iluvatar sent him back. Okay. So that's different than... So up until that point, Gandalf hadn't died before. Correct. He just changed his identity. Well, he, he came to Middle-earth and he veiled his power and went in the guise of an old man and did not use his magical abilities the way he might have done. That was in large part due to the thought or theory that, um, you know, Sauron had this power that he used and it was bent to evil. And Sauron was bent to evil by Malkor, is that right? Yes. So Sauron was originally a Maya of Aule and he chose willingly to serve Melkor and became his lieutenant. The best way to explain it is Myron, Sauron's drive was to create. And so he was a smith first. And he created the ring, or the rings. He created werewolves and vampires and all other various creatures. That was his passion. And so when you have a Vala who says, we should be able to create too, that would be very appealing. So he joined Melkor. But he created perverse things. No, I wouldn't say perverse is the right word. So you have to understand, they can't create anything new. They can only adjust things that already exist. So they would take something and just give it a little twist or a nudge and see what would happen. And so you can call that evolution, you can call that mutation, you can call it whatever you want, but it doesn't necessarily imply malicious intent. Hey everyone, it's just Duck jumping in here real quick to say thank you so much for checking out the podcast today. If you're enjoying it, head over to your favorite podcast app, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, or iTunes, and give We Are Podcast Network a like. And if you get a chance, head over to our social media. All links can be found in the description. You can find us at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at backslash WeArePodcast. And with that, back to the podcast. So once again, I just want to reiterate. All the wizards and creatures that are like Radagast and Gandalf and who's the head of the elves? The female. Um, Galadriel. Galadriel. They were all part of the choir. Or Galadriel was not. She was she, not. She's an elf. She was just one of the first elves. Is that right? Or no, just no, she's elf. not. Okay. Um. So Radagast, Saruman, Gandalf, Alatar, Palando. Yeah. All part of the choir. That's yes. Saying. Okay. I just want to make sure I got that right. So they've been there for since the beginning. Yes. They've watched all this happen, or, and they've been. Loyal... They, they might not necessarily have been present for all of it, but they're aware of it certainly. And they are loyal to the Godhead. They're loyal to their individual valor that they are servants of. Okay, so they have individual valor. And how many valor were there? Fourteen. Fourteen. So Saruman was a peer of Sauron. He was a Maya of Aule as well. 
And then you have Gandalf of Nienna and then Radagast. I don't know if it's like explicitly stated, but it's clearly a, a, a Maya of Yavanna. Can you name all of them? Uh, probably. <laughs> I won't make you. That's fine. So the earth is created. And throughout history, like we said, Malkor has discontent, I guess, or however you would put it against the others on the planet. Yes. And so the Valar are sent there to watch over their different... Things like, you know, the earth or the plants or the creatures or the water and blood, etc., etc. But Malkor is going to battle with the others at all times. Well, I mean, I wouldn't say going to battle. So say you create something. Like you, you build something out of Legos that's never been built before. And someone comes along and takes it and just changes it a little bit. It was yours. You'd be a little bit upset by that. You'd probably tell them not to do that. And if he does it anyway, you might have a disagreement with him. And so that's what the fundamental or the root cause of the tension between Melkor and the other Valar was. So he was a bully. I wouldn't say he was a bully. I don't think he was doing it to upset the other Valar. He was doing it because it was in his nature. Just, you just you're such an apologist for Melkor. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, he's set up as the villain, right? <laughs> so, and you're just like, well, he's not all bad. Well, he's not all bad. I mean, he's mostly bad. Yeah, he's mostly bad, but he's not all bad. Yeah. What what else about this first chapter do you think is important to point out? So this is something that's not often really considered, right? But it talks about the creation of the elves and men. And it does not distinguish physically any characteristics that define them from one another. There's no mention of pointed ears for the elves. There's no mention of rounded ears for men. There's no mention of any spectacular height for the elves or any unearthly appearance the way they're described is like essentially that they're physically identical to one another that elves and men have the same bodies and different fea so is it ever mentioned in the books that there's a difference does it ever say pointed ears or anything like that nothing where do we get that from just lore I, i i think it's just tolkien was a scholar of english history and you look at english history and there's pixies and fairies and i mean like a lot of that's irish as well or Scottish, that that's all like part of the lore of the British Isles. And pointed ears mm-hmm. are certainly a characteristic there, but they're not necessarily a characteristic explicitly stated in the text of the Lord of the Rings. So when they did the movies, technically they shouldn't have done pointed ears? Well, they, it's not that they shouldn't have done, because it doesn't say they don't have pointed ears. It just doesn't say one way or the other. And so you can extrapolate that to say humans and elves were identical. I mean, you don't necessarily have to, but it's one, it's a valid interpretation of the text. I think pointed ears are cool. I like the idea that they're similar, and the only difference is the doom and the fea. What are the doom and the doom? The, the doom is the death that men receive, okay. and then the fea is your soul. So the fea are like the souls of elves versus the souls of men. What happens to elves if they die in battle? Elves, if they die, period, go to the halls of Mandos. Mandos, or Mano, is a vala. Um, and the halls of Mandos are, um, are effectively, I guess it's purgatory. They go there and they process and they heal and they recover and they do all the things that they need to do to become well-adjusted again. And then they are re-embodied in Valinor. Oh, so they get to be reincarnated. Yes. That, like, yeah, elves are immortal. They never oh. go to heaven. They are immortal. They live in Valinor forever. So even if they die a terrible death, they get to come back. Yes. Was there ever any elf that was evil? Because it seems like most of them are good. Depends on what you mean by evil. Like serial killer? Oh, I'm sure there were. I mean, yeah. there's serial killers everywhere. Yeah, I'm just saying. That's the, well, Tolkien didn't write about that, did he? Oh, you say that. 
Oh, yeah? So, I mean, there's Feanaro and uh, Feanorians, his sons, who were kin killers. They killed their family. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And what happened to them? Most of them were killed. And then they got reincarnated? Hypothetically. Um, it says, because of the oath, Mano says that Feanaro won't be re-embodied until the last battle. So the last day of eternity. Oh, so... So, so as punishment, it goes for a long time without being reincarnated. Yeah, just stuck in purgatory. Where do more elves come from? Do they re... Do they... They have babies. Do they have babies? Elf babies? Yeah, they have elf babies. Yeah. And so how long does it take for an elf baby to grow up? The same as a normal baby? I mean, physically, probably. Mentally, no. Completely different? Yeah. A little bit of a Grogu situation, a little Star Wars. <laughs> I was going to say, how about in the Lord of the Rings, the movies, Aragorn and Arwen? Does she give up her... She, so she is paired health. She is half-elven. So she can choose to be live for eternity or give it up. She is allowed to choose whether or not she has the doom, yes. Yeah, and she chooses not to have it. She chooses to have the doom, to die with Aragorn. So does she get reincarnated then? Or no, she, she goes to heaven. She goes to heaven. So she's cool. She's she's good. So, I mean, they're all good, but... Well, like, I'm just making sure everyone ends up in heaven or they end up where where they sell off to at the end of the Yeah, of the so... Um, where, what, where is it they sell off to? Valinor. So they sail off to Valinor, which is elf heaven? Essentially. So the way that works is Elrond's parents. Um, Elwing and Eärendil were both half-elven, Elrond's parents. And so because of that, Elrond was able to choose whether or not he had the gift of men. And so he chose to live for eternity. Yes, but, but his, his twin brother. I was going to say his twin brother Elros, cho- chose, chose to die as a man. Yes, and that is where the Dúnedain came from. Which is, again... The Dúnedain are like Aragorn's line. So technically, Aragorn is like a great, 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 nephew of Elrond. And then he gets it on with his daughter. Yeah. Damn. Yeah, they're like there's a lot of incest in Lord of the Rings. They're like one hundredth cousins or something. Oh, I mean that's fair. I had sex with my cousin who was like seventh cousin twice removed. So whatever. You can't judge. Who am I to judge? Who am I to judge? Small town. Leave me alone. Um. What else about the uh, first chapter? Is there a lot of henceforth and thou now and a lot of King's James talky and yes. books? Oh my God, I'm in so much trouble. I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> because the text itself is fine. It's straightforward. And then they start talking. They're like, henceforth thou shalt. T- well, so that was, the, it was God who was talking like that. And I figured that's why. But Yeah, the, not everyone ever- talks that way. Oh, thank God. I mean, thank Ohio Linda Day or whatever his name is, <laughs> um, because like it's I I, can't, I don't know if I can do it. I I I was challenged by reading it. I was I was like I get it, but I can't wait for Sophie to break it down for me because I'm <laughs> stupid. You're not stupid. It's I just I could never read the King James version of the Bible either. I was just like I didn't. It just didn't make any sense to me. I was like, did people really talk? Harketh thou? Yeah, they talked that way. Really? Yes. Oh my god. So I'm I mean, so happy language changed. So Tolkien was a scholar of language, and the reason he wrote that way was with intent. So English evolved from Middle English, and before that from Old English, which was Anglo-Saxon, and that was a branch of West Germanic language. And so you have different conjugations for verbs. Thou hast something, something, something. You have something, something, something. Those were both valid ways to speak. Thou hast was a much more formal way of speaking than saying you have. And so when Eru speaks that way, he is speaking in a formal, polite, graceful manner of speaking. And so when other people don't speak that way, they're speaking like a low, more common tongue. 
So he, uh, even when he was writing this, he was thinking about, you know, Louvatar would be magnanimous. He would be all these different things, extravagant, right? Very royal and regal. And so, he, of course, he would speak that way. And so Tolkien probably loved writing like that. Yes. Yeah, he, because he was a scholar in it. So he, once again, it's it, if, if it's all written that way, I'm going to struggle. Not all of it is. Anything else about the first chapter? That's really it. I think that it sets the stage for the story of the Silmarils, which is the meat of the Silmarillion, which tracks because the Silmarils, the Silmarillion. What are the Silmarils? You'll learn. Oh, okay. Well, Mm -hmm. I guess we'll have to come back next week and talk about it. So what's the next episode? The next is the Valaquinta. The Valaquinta is about 10 pages. So we'll probably do that. And following that is the Quinta Silmarillion. We will not be reading that all in one episode. That's many chapters. But so the first episode was the intro. Today's episode is the Ainulindale. Next episode is is the Valaquinta. And then following that, we'll do chapter by chapter the Silmarillion. Okay. Sounds good. So... That's awesome. With that said, how do we go out? Go in peace. Go in peace! Did we just say go in peace? It's like a whole thing, but yeah, go in peace, essentially. All right. So, um, so it, it was one of Tolkien's goodbye phrases, or like farewells, so yeah. So, everyone, this has been Duck. I've been here with Sophie. And go in peace. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And there it is. Thank you again so much for checking out the podcast today. If you enjoyed it, head over to your favorite podcast app, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, and iTunes, and give We Are Podcast Network a like. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, you're going to love the other podcasts here on the We Are Podcast Network. We have We Are Air, where we talk movies, entertainment, whatever the fuck we want to talk about. That's me, that's Jake, and that's Javi. We're breaking down that pop culture and we're having so much fun. Heroes, Jiro's A Dungeons and Distractions side quest. Me and the boys were playing some D&D. You can start that one from Season 1, Episode 1. It's a blast the whole way through. And I hate being sober. Personal stories from epic people. I sit down with some of my favorite people of all time. We talk about their trials, their tribulations, and their journey this far. And finally, our new live video podcast, Camp Slash Horrorcast, where we're going to have a roundtable discussion about our favorite horror movies. That'll be available on Twitch and YouTube, streaming every Monday at 8 p.m. Check the links in the description to find out what movies we'll be watching. Also, check the links in the description for our social media. You can find us at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at backslash we are podcast network. With that said, thank you so much for checking out the podcast today. Please remember to support local comedy in any way that you can. We'll see you next time.